welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Equity. So today we're going to be talking about redlining and uh, black health and well-being. So let's get into it. I just want to let you guys know that I sound, uh, I'm a bit sick right now, which is why I sound like a bit nasally. So yeah, anyways, let's get into it. So to even begin the conversation about black health and well-being, we first have to discuss redlining. Redlining is the systematic denial of resources and aid to residents of certain neighborhoods and communities. On a map, these areas are typically marked in red, hence the name redlining. And yes, these neighborhoods were predominantly black neighborhoods in the United States. So as these black neighborhoods were being sectioned off and isolated from white neighborhoods, they were also denied access to government and state funding, which would typically allow a neighborhood or community to function. Um, financial assistance is really the basis or foundation of a well-functioning neighborhood because neighborhoods and communities need money to fund things like retail necessities, schools, medical care, economic development, um, environmental control, public safety, recreation, and so much more. Financial assistance from state and federal governments is something that all neighborhoods should have access to. So black residents who lived in these redlined areas were often denied basic necessities such as healthcare and education. And even if they were provided with retail necessities like grocery stores and supermarkets, the locations of these stores were unreasonably far away so that residents of these redlined areas did not have nearby access to healthy food. Okay, so we've established the general idea of redlining. We're now going to move on to its effects on black health and well-being. Um, one large and negative impact of redlining is food insecurity. Redlining has created what is known as food deserts, areas where there is restricted access to affordable and nutritious food. And if there is access to affordable food, it is typically stores like, um, like fast food places, delis, convenience stores, you know, places where um, there's just unhealthy food instead of actual grocery stores with affordable and healthy food. For example, where I live, I can literally just cross the street and I'm at Giant Food Store where I, have, where I have access to affordable fresh fruits and vegetables, healthy meat, proteins, carbs, dairy, fats, literally any food that you would need to um, have a nutritious and balanced diet and to live a healthy lifestyle. So to further prove the negative effects of redlining on black health, I'm going to observe an area very close to me about a county way because where I live has not, where I live has not been redlined but Baltimore City, the area I will be observing, has been previously redlined. So what we're looking for here is connections between redlining and food insecurity. I'm looking at the Mapping Inequality Redlining in New Zealand America map of the Baltimore area. Um, so in Baltimore, the redlined areas have been marked as hazardous and have been described as obsolescence with a high Negro concentration. Here, obsolescence just means that the areas marked red, the areas that have been redlined, are no longer being maintained, so they just continue to deteriorate and don't receive any sort of government attention or assistance. Um, so that's basically what it's saying. And the areas outside the red line zones or the red marked zones are marked yellow, and this, si this stands for definitely declining and is described as no immediate danger of Negro encroachment, but there is a heavy concentration of Negroes in the section adjoining. Basically what um, the map is saying is that these neighborhoods marked yellow are reaching a point where they may be redlined because they're not considered safe 
because of their largely or majority black population. Um, but what I'm noticing on this map is that as we move outward from central Baltimore, there is, red, there is less redlining and these areas outside of central Baltimore are generally considered safe because of the black pop because the black population decreases as we move outward um, through Maryland. And I also noticed that central Baltimore has more redlined areas than um, outer Baltimore in the rest of Maryland. Hopefully that made sense, but if you want to check out the map on your own time to better understand what I'm saying, it is called um, Mapping Inequality, Redlining in New Zealand, America. <clears throat> that being said, let's take a look at the Feeding America website. We're going to compare food insecurity in my area of Howard County and the previously redlined area of Baltimore City. When looking at the food insecurity map of Baltimore City, it is noted that Baltimore City has the second highest food insecurity rate in all of Maryland, with it being 15.8%. And Baltimore City also has an estimated population about, of about 594,000 people, and um, about 96,000 of the population is food insecure. Um, and that is a pretty large number, also considering the fact that the Baltimore um, population is decreasing yearly. But in Howard County, um, a neighborhood, a neighboring county, the food insecurity rate is 7.7%. And Howard County has an estimated population of 325,000 people, with about 25,000 people being food insecure. When comparing the two, we can see that the food insecurity in Baltimore is much higher in comparison to Howard County, and has, and this has like nothing to do with the larger population and more so to do with the fact that food insecurity in Baltimore is a byproduct of redlining. Since redlining in the 1960s, many black Baltimore City residents have been trapped in these isolated, underfunded, and redlined neighborhoods. Um, these residents lived in, lived in poor, food insecure, and high crime neighborhoods due to redlining. Like I said earlier, for a community to function successfully, there must be some sort of financial assistance available to create jobs, fund retail necessities like grocery stores and supermarkets, um, healthcare, public safety, and all that. But Baltimore City, again, being a previously redlined area, um, was denied all these basic necessities. Baltimore residents were being robbed, um, were robbed of um, having simple things like grocery stores and supermarkets because of the lack of funding in these isolated neighborhoods. In an article studying food insecurity in Baltimore called Baltimore the Starving City, the author Jack Hilton states, Baltimore is dense throughout, with the north of the city becoming more suburban, but this truth is not reflected in, this, in the spatial patterns of grocery stores. The large middle class once found in the city has either fled to the suburbs or faced a decline in fortunes led by the loss of manufacturing jobs. In many of the neighborhoods, often still dense, where income is the lowest, there's also a distinct lack of access to quality grocery stores. These areas include Mount Royal, Fulton, Mount Clare, Forest Park, and East Baltimore. This is especially pronounced in Old Town, immediately to the right of downtown, one of the city's poorest areas, which has zero grocery stores. Compare this to the suburban and middle-income Northeast Baltimore, which has four grocery stores despite being much less than Old Town. The wealthiest neighborhoods, Federal Hill, Hampton, Woodbury, Roland Park, Canton, Fells Point, and North Baltimore are awash with grocery stores. Where there are clusters of or swathes of poverty, there are no grocery stores. In pockets of wealth within the city, grocery stores seem to cluster. 
So basically what he's saying is that in poorer, low-income, and more densely populated areas of Baltimore, there is a distinct lack of access to grocery stores in comparison to higher income, more suburban, and less dense areas of Baltimore. And where there's more wealth, there are more grocery stores. So let's go back to that red line map of Baltimore that I discussed earlier. Remember I said that as you move outward from central Baltimore, there is less redlining. So the fact that central Baltimore had fewer grocery stores than the rest of Baltimore depicts how the isolation and seclusion of these redlined neighborhoods significantly affects people's access to grocery stores today. So in turn, delis, McDonald's, liquor stores, convenience stores are built instead of grocery stores because like I said, these neighborhoods aren't properly funded, so it's much cheaper to build stores that cost less to maintain. For example, maintaining a liquor store is much cheaper than maintaining a grocery store that has fresh food, fresh and nutritious food. Today, black people who reside in previously redlined neighborhoods and food deserts are significantly more prone to diseases such as obesity, heart disease, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, and some disabilities. I'm not saying that redlining directly causes these diseases, but it does create food deserts, and the black people who live in those areas suffer because they don't have access to affordable, nutritious food. So in turn, they're faced to eat affordable but unhealthy calorie-empty foods from places like McDonald's, delis, and convenience stores. And these are also places that they have nearby access to because, like I said earlier, grocery stores and supermarkets were purposely located far away um, from redlined neighborhoods to restrict their access to healthy foods. I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but I feel like it's necessary just to show how much redlining is connected to so many aspects of black health and well-being today. I'm also going to use Baltimore's um, obesity epidemic as an example. We've established that many areas of Baltimore are food deserts, but they're also obesogenic environments. Obesogenic um, is just something that tends to cause obesity. Um, according to the State of Health in Baltimore White Paper 2017 by the Baltimore City Health Department, in Baltimore City, one in three high school students is either obese or overweight, one in four high school students drinks one or more regular sodas each day, while less than half eat one or more servings of vegetables a day. Less than half of middle school students eat breakfast on a daily basis. So these are just some examples of the implications that come along with living in a food desert, a previously redlined environment, or an obesogenic environment. Three very interconnected terms. From this information, we can see that so many Baltimore residents are in very food insecure situations. In the map of projected prevalence of obesity by census tract in Baltimore City, there are many areas with an obesity prevalence between 41.1 to 55%. Prevalence is just the um, number of disease cases present in a particular population at a given time. So the obesity prevalence, prevalence map is just kind of showing the number of people um, that suffer from obesity in one area. So basically in one area, the total percentage of adults who are obese roughly ranges between 41 to 55%. I hope that kind of puts things into perspective on how many people are really affected by um, lack of access to healthy food and just redlining as a whole. Food deserts and food insecurity are both byproducts of redlining and in these food deserts, Residents do not have access to nutritious foods that they would need to maintain a balanced diet. 
therefore leading to an unhealthy lifestyle and unhealthy eating habits, which then causes problems such as obesity, um, high blood pressure, heart disease, high cholesterol levels, atherosclerosis, stroke, diabetes, and so many other health issues. And to add on, the lack of funding in previously redlined communities greatly affects other aspects of said communities, including healthcare. Residents do not have access to advanced healthcare and medical support systems, so they can't receive proper treatment, which then allows diseases like obesity to remain prevalent. Black adults um, have the highest obesity rates in the United States, and this is the outcome of lack of access to healthy food and properly funded healthcare systems. And by the way, I'm just using obesity as an example of a health issue that disproportionately affects the black community. So to basically summarize literally like everything I just said, black residents of previously redlined areas have a distinct lack of access to grocery stores where there's healthy and nutritious food in order to maintain a balanced diet and to live a healthy lifestyle. And they also lack access to properly funded up-to-date healthcare systems where their medical needs are met with the highest regard. Because of this, residents of previously redlined areas disproportionately suffer from many preventable diseases such as heart disease, obesity, diabetes, stroke, etc. And although redlining was banned in 1968, it still negatively affects black residents of previously redlined zones. Before I end, I just wanted to say that I only use Baltimore as an example of a redlined area because it is the area closest to me, um, but this thesis also applies to every other previously redlined area in the United States if you really look into them and study the history of redlining in those areas. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye!